Well, you can open your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4. I just want to make a few announcements and uh, then we will uh, have the Lord's Supper at the close of our service today um, and then then finish after that. I just want to talk about Vacation Bible School. Just please please pray for that. I think about the the hundreds of flyers that went out to all the kids. Uh, I talked to the kids at Kids Club on Tuesday and they they all got them and uh, just that God might might stir in the hearts of some some people, maybe some newer people, to whom we can minister to and help. Uh, also, Elise has told me that there's still some opportunities. Where are you, Elise? Are you here? I don't see Elise at all. There's still some opportunities. She's got a clipboard. You can uh, help. I think that's made with food. Primarily, she has. Um, yes, Andy. Yeah. Okay, so that'd be great. There are flyers just right up there. If you want to take them, you can uh, pass them out. That'd be wonderful. Um, just also, we're looking to plan a baptism a baptism service again this summertime. If you've not been baptized, uh, I want you to come and see me. We'll we'll talk about that. See if we have um, people to be baptized this summer at the lake. Is what we'll do. Well, let me pray for my message this morning. Lord, I pray in your your grace that you would. As Gary prayed and said, just open your word, God, to us. I believe in the Holy Spirit, God. I believe that the Spirit can come and can help us. Thank you for the church in Haiti who, God, is so much corruption. Yet there are programs like farms which can circle through and can teach people how to be responsible for their finances. That they can then turn that around and give to the church and support pastors and Father, just continue to lead us and guide us how we as a church can support that excellent ministry. Father, we would pray for us, though. I, I pray today as we look at the benefits of giving that you would increase our heart to give and that we would be a, a giving people, giving to your kingdom. God, whether that's a local church, whether that's missionaries, whether that's people in need, God, whatever that means, you, you, you can put all that together. And Lord, would pray that just through my words today that you would... Just continue to work in our hearts, God, to hold less tightly to this world and to release uh, release our grip and to open up and to give because there's great blessing in that. And so convict us. God, we need to be convicted and encourage us and strengthen us not to be guilted into obedience. Father, for you, love a, a cheerful giver, not a a giver who gives under compulsion or a giver who gives grudgingly. Father, that's of no profit, but I pray that you'd stir our hearts to give cheerfully even as the Thessalonians did, those in Philippi did. So we just we place this on you, O Lord. I pray that you would work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week I had an opportunity to, uh, to meet uh, a gentleman who uh, was a church planter. He planted a church a little over five years ago. And uh, through an organization, he obtained some funding. And this, the idea of this funding is he would be given five years to be able to uh, plant this church. At the end of five years, the funding would dry up. And so he's been really laboring in the harvest, really seeking to reach out. His, his aim is to reach out to unchurched 
people, and um, he's been doing that. And many of the people in his church have come to Christ just through his, his witness and his testimony. Well, in recent months, his five years ran out. In fact, I think he said it was in January, maybe at the end of this year, at the end of 2013. It, it ran out, and the, the church now has the burden of fully funding themselves. And uh, by God's grace, they are fully supportive. Their, their budget's low, but they are, are going well. It hasn't been easy. And this pastor related to me the particular challenge that he has of the, the new Christians in his congregation teaching them how to give. Because for years they've lived for themselves, developing habits of, of spending everything they had on, on themselves with giving little thought to giving towards others or, or giving to God's kingdom, certainly. And yet God's people there have been taught to give and I, I trust that as they grow in their faith and grow in their sanctification, that they will also grow in their, their giving as well. And so we come this morning to our passage in Philippians 4, beginning of verse 15. We're going to hear of a, a see of a, a young church comprised of new converts who learned quickly to give. And in this way, they st- stand out as an example among other churches in the regions. And they, they give an example for us as Paul speaks of the benefits of giving. We'll look here how how well they stood out as an example. Verse 15, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the Gospel, no church shared with me, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full, and have an abundance, I am amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now these words are a big commendation to uh, the church in Philippi. When Paul came to the church, came to Philippi, there was no church there. There were those who were worshiping the Lord each Sabbath morning down by the river. And so he heard that that's where the gathering, there wasn't even a synagogue there. He heard that's where the gathering was. And so he went. There were a few women there. And Lydia, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of the Lord, when she heard Paul's words, the Lord opened her heart to believe and respond to the things spoken by Paul. And she believed, was baptized and compelled and just urged Paul and Titus to come into her house and stay for a while. Well, soon afterwards, we don't know how long, but within the the week or two or five, I'm not exactly sure, he soon found himself beaten with rods and thrown in prison for disturbing the peace. And soon afterwards, the leaders of the city told him to leave the city. And so he left. They traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica, where Paul was there only three Sabbaths. So three Saturdays, maybe three weeks in total, arriving before the first Sabbath and leaving sometime after the third Sabbath. But in that time, the the Thessalonians had sent him two financial gifts to help him in the ministry. You can see that in verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Thessalonica and uh, Philippi, about 100 miles apart. And there certainly wasn't enough, enough time to go and communicate what's happening in Thessalonica and for these financial gifts to go back and forth. And on two occasions, they gave. New converts gave to support Paul in his ministry. And that's the verse point of verse 15. In fact, um, 
when they received them. It says, verse 15, You yourselves also know Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, this is talking about his first trip into Philippi, after I left Macedonia, uh, Philippi is in Macedonia, and then he, he left there and came south to Achaia, which is where Corinth is. After I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving, but you alone. They were the only ones, the only church that helped Paul during these early days, the expansion of the gospel into Macedonia and beyond. Now, this in general, right, this was Paul's pattern, not to take money from churches where the gospel was brand new. So, like, for instance, when we went into Corinth, he didn't, he didn't demand an offering there. He didn't demand an offering in, in Philippi, but they, they gave him the finances there. But, but when he came to a place that's new, he wanted to preach the gospel freely. And so he would either trust his, his own labor, as in Corinth when he made tents with Priscilla and Aquila, or the labor of others when uh, Timothy and, and Silas came upon his arrival at Corinth to support Paul completely. Two guys working supported one other guy completely. Such was their, their dedication. Or, or maybe he relied on other churches to help him. Like in this case, Philippi was helping them, but never from new churches or never amongst the people because he wanted the gospel to come and the message is free. In fact, there were times where Paul never took any money from the churches to which he was ministering, particularly if they were problem churches and difficult. Uh, like in Second Corinthians 11, verses 7 and 8, he says this to the Corinthians, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And one of those churches would be, of course, the church in Philippi that he's, he's robbing them. In other words, he's taken from Philippi so as to serve you, Corinthians. And that was in contrast with these false apostles who are claiming they're so great and trying to get money from the people. He said, I didn't, I'm coming because I love you and because of the freeness of the gospel. Now, that's not to say he didn't receive any financial help because he did, like these in, in Philippi. But it was rare. I mean, Philippi, as it says, the only church to help. Right? Verse 15. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Uh, not the church in Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, where he went through on his way to Philippi which he planted during his first missionary journey and came back. And so these were mature churches. They didn't help him after he left Macedonia. Not the church in Thessalonica. Not the church in Berea. And you think about Berea. These were noble-minded, searching the Scriptures to see if anything was true, to see if the things spoken by Paul were true. You'd think that that would be a church that would, would give. But such is the case of the Philippian church, how well they, they learned. Spoke about how much this church cared for Paul. But it's been... Ten years since those days. And Paul received another gift from the Philippi, and that's the reason why he wrote. Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you revived your concern for me. Here's my first point. Giving makes an impact. Giving makes an impact. And it certainly had an impact on Paul's ministry. It enabled him to minister to those in Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth, where he remained for a year and a half. And, and as you give towards a ministry, it helps people minister to other people. So certainly giving makes an impact. And we understand that, that God has promised to bless His Word, that it never returns void without accomplishing everything that He desires. So we understand that. And I, and I, would, I would encourage you, just every little gift that you give to people ministering the Word of God helps 
Now, we don't know how large the gifts were that, that Paul received, but I would suspect that they were somewhat small, just a, a new church having been formed and, and just within three weeks sending something. It's not like they have saved up and saved up and saved up. It's just kind of whatever they had was just small, but, but it helped to make an impact. And God will impact every gift that you give. We'll use it to impact other people. But there's another place where it impacts. I want you to catch that. It makes an impact on the one who receives the gift as well. I mean, just think about the timing of this letter. That initially, when Paul left Philippi, they'd give him a, a, few, a few gifts, and then he went on his way, and then silent for ten years. They didn't help Paul. They may have been helping some other people. They may have, as I mentioned last week, may have helped the uh, church in Jerusalem. But now, after ten years, another gift. And I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. He knows it's been ten years. And he remembers what they helped with before. I mean, think about these specific details that Paul remembered about from ten years ago. He remembers the Philippian church was the only church to give. And he remembers that they gave a gift more than once. So at least twice, Paul could have said how many times they gave a gift. He remembers. And so I ask you, how does Paul know this? Did he keep some meticulous ledger of all the gifts that he received from all the churches? And as he was writing this book, Philippians, did he say, hmm, I wonder what they gave? And look through his, scroll back about 10 years in his ledger and say, oh, yeah, yeah they, they gave, oh, look at this. No other church gave me. But it's just the church in Philippi. Did he do that? I don't think so. I think he had it in his mind. He didn't have to go and, and do research and I'm just saying that if you give a gift to somebody, it will impact people who receive gifts so that they can even remember. I remember when I was in seminary, being a poor seminary student, there's a man at church who was a single man working as a well-paying engineering job, one of the local aerospace companies, right? the, 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 the jet companies right? that put people on the moon and Mars and things like that. And he was very bright, single guy, and for some reason he took an interest in, in my plight. I'd gone straight to, to seminary from college where I studied physics and computer science, kind of in more of a, a science mindset, able to speak with him about scientific things, was interested in the aerospace stuff, that he, he was there. Um, and I think that in some sense he took an interest in me because he was curious a little bit about how a scientific mind deals with a literature world of the Bible. And it's just kind of different, different types of worlds in, in many ways. We had some great conversations, and I, I know often he, he probed my mind just about things I'm learning, which took a great interest, but he really helped me. He had resources, I had the need. And I can remember another occasion, he'd take me out to a restaurant, he always picked up the tab. He was making more money than he knew what to do with, and he was, he was just giving uh, away and was, was helping me. I remember one time going to the doctor, he paid my bill. I remember he bought me some books. He was generous, never expecting anything in return. He knew my situation. He knew that he was making far more money than I was. I wasn't even working at the time. And, and I can't remember the exact details, but it, probably over this period of two years I knew him. It's probably about $300 that he just gave me. So it's not like a lot of money, but it was just enough. Just enough dinners and just enough books and just always kind of an, an encouragement to me. And it was out of friendship, I'm sure. He wasn't looking for anything in return. And my guess is that when I left... He found some other seminary student just to be a blessing in, in their life as well. And, and to this day, his generosity towards me has never been forgotten. Just a couple hundred dollars has never been forgotten. In fact, I spent some time yesterday trying to track him down online, sent some emails out, just, just thinking about just wanting to just thank him for his generosity towards me. Just a, $300 isn't a lot. 
but it made an impact on my life and encouraged me. And just know that what you may give to people who are in need or believers and direct them to the Lord or what you give to other people to go out and proclaim the word is not only makes an impact with the word, not only makes an impact with ministry, but also can make an impact on them as well as they think about your generosity. And so my question simply is, have you made an impact on others like this? Have you been generous to make an impact? Not talking a lot of money, but seeing people in need, seeing, seeing them and, and helping them. And maybe some missionaries helping in a specific way. I hope you have. Because Paul remembered. And people you give to remember. Well, my second point. Giving adds to your account. Giving adds to your account. Now, this is the exact opposite of what we would expect. We generally think the other way, right? When I give, my account what? It decreases. My account doesn't increase because I take money out of my bank account. And as I give it away, that's decreasing. But Paul says the opposite, is that giving increases your account. It adds to your account. Look what he says in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit or the fruit which increases to your account. Then again, Paul's giving a perspective why he's so joyful. Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you revived your concern for me, that you've given me this gift. But he, 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 makes, he works really hard to say it's not because he speaks from want, verse 11, because he's learned to be content in everything. We looked at that last week. And, and also here in verse 17, it's not that he even seeks the gift itself for himself. Rather, he knows the Philippians gave, as the Philippians gave this gift their account was increased. You say, well, how does it work? Well, here's the trick. There are two accounts. There are two accounts you have. Now, you may have multiple bank accounts, right? You, there, but you have earthly accounts and you have heavenly accounts. And, and when you give to the work of the Lord, your earthly account, yes, decreases. But what happens to your heavenly account? Help me now. If your earthly account decreases because you're giving to the, the kingdom work of God, what happens to your heavenly account? It increases. Good, good. It's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For your treasures, there will heart be also. He's talking about giving. When you take of your resources to give to God's kingdom, you are storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. Now, the good thing about these treasures in heaven, you'll never default on them. They, they will, God will never default. They won't rust. They won't be stolen. They'll just simply accumulate. And God knows full well what your account is in heaven. And He has backed it and insured it far more than the FDIC ever professes to be, and it will be there when you arrive. Now, one of the things I love about what Jesus says is, is that he's got our best interest in mind. Any good financial planner is going to direct you and your investments so as to get the best return on your investments. Jesus here is giving investment advice. He gives the best investment advice, actually. He says, invest your earthly dollars in your heavenly account. And just keep investing your earthly dollars in your heavenly account because your earthly dollars are going away. But your heavenly dollars will never go away. His great book, The Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn. How many of you read this book? 
many of you. That's good. And uh, I would I would encourage you to pick up a copy and and read it. It is uh, very many ways life transforming. Just want to read a couple quotes from it because it's exactly what he's saying here, right? He, the 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 Philippians gave, and their profit increased to their account. Now. Now, now, check this out. It's the church that gave. It's not even a person, but, but God knows how the, the account of the church increases, the account of people. He, he keeps all that math straight. He understands all of that. So whether you give to someone directly or you give to the church, which then gives to Paul, it just all, all adds up. God knows this. But here's what, here's what Al- Alcorn says. Is consider what Jesus is saying. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why not? Because earthly treasures are bad? No, but because they won't last. Scripture says, cast but a glance at riches and they're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to to the sky like an eagle. What a picture. Next time you buy a prized possession, imagine it sprouting wings and flying off. Sooner or later, it will disappear. But when Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not because wealth might be lost. It's because wealth will always be lost. Either it leaves us while we live or we leave it. When we die, no exceptions. Paul saw this, and he knew this, and so did the Philippians. And that's what made Paul so happy. He said, "Like you got it, you understand. You're building up heavenly treasures and not earthly treasures by giving to me." And he said, "It's not the gift, right? It's that I'm so happy you got it, and you're building up these heavenly treasures. You will forever be." Joyful because of what you did. See, God knows every dollar that you've ever invested in His kingdom. Consider these words of Jesus. Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Even a cup of cold water is not forgotten by the Lord. He never forgets anything that you give. Jesus says, when you give a reception... <clears throat> invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Since they do not have the means to repay you, for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You invite people to your home who can't repay you, you'll be repaid. No, not here on earth, but at the resurrection of the righteous when you meet Christ. He remembers every cup of cold water you give. Every time you help the helpless, you will be repaid. Because giving adds to your account. Now, if you pay attention to the newspapers or Internet news or, or whatever, seemingly every year there comes to be some story like this, like some, some meager worker who you know, works this menial job, wears kind of shabby clothes and you know, just kind of humbly goes about his way. He dies without a family and in his will, when it's read, donates several million dollars to some cause. <clears throat> I just kind of looked up, uh, you know, poor, poor person or whatever. Someone dies leaving millions and, and lots of stories like this. I just share one of them with you. Margaret Southern. She lived in the modest townhouse in Greenville, South Carolina. Nothing particularly striking about her. She taught elementary school, I think, and then uh, eventually taught uh, special needs children. She had an ailing brother for whom she cared for for about a, a decade she loved the Atlanta Braves, stayed up late watching the Braves. Probably she talked about the Braves. When she died, she requested there be no funeral, no memorial, not even an obituary of her death. She just wanted to be cremated, buried with her brother and parents. And she died 
last October, so October 2013, that's just eight months ago, at the age of 94, and she left $8.4 million to the Community Foundation of Greenville for the benefit of children and animals. And I'm, I, I specifically chose, sometimes they devote it to a church or some kind of <clears throat> religious organization, but this is nothing. This is to animals, $8.4 million. Her husband was as successful as an actuary, um, when he died in 1983, that would have been 83, 20, 30 years before she died, um, he left her a comfortable but not large estate. And so she moved to Greenville in the mid-1980s, shortly after that, and began investing. And it started growing and growing. And she had a financial advisor, and it was just growing and growing and growing and growing. And through the success of 3M, General Foods, and Heinz, her account began to amass the millions that she was able to give away at her death. And we see that on an earthly realm. But I say, how many people are doing this in a heavenly realm? Humbly investing their resources in the kingdom of God, but dying by all intents and purposes from our appearances, dying relatively poor, but rich in heaven. And whenever you hear these stories, these people have everybody fooled. Nobody would suspect that they had millions of dollars in the bank. And how many people are fooling us all, seeing how they're living and yet realizing that they've not realizing they've invested millions in the kingdom, living modestly by earthly standards, yet when eternity unfolds, all will be made known and some people will say, wow, look at the treasure that that person built in the kingdom of heaven. A missionary friend of mine who has spent his days since seminary, seminary for me was 25 years ago, something like that, um, spent his days in Ukraine. And uh, he was training pastors in Ukraine, in Kiev. He's been there for 25 years, 20 years, maybe something like that. And um, he wrote this. We, he and his wife, we wouldn't be here without some very sly people who are quietly but steadily amassing their fortunes in heaven. He fully understands it. We are here in the Ukraine, and we're only here because they're these sly and clever people who are quietly but steadily amassing their fortunes in heaven. You have two accounts, an earthly account and a heavenly account. And I just ask you at this point, How's your heavenly account doing? Is it amassing? Is it growing? Because you're giving. That's a benefit of giving. That's what Paul said. Paul is so excited for the Philippians because they caught the benefits of giving. Well, let's go on. We see the benefits. It makes an impact. It adds to your account. Also, giving pleases God. This is verse 18. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, these words, Paul, again, is affirming the gift that was sent to him by those in Philippi. He said, this is more than enough for my need. Because of their gift, he lacked nothing. God had met his every need and then some. He says, I have everything in full and I even have an abundance. And he writes... He's fully content in everything he has, right? Verse 11, not that I speak from want, I've learned to be content whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Well, at this moment in time, 
Paul was having abundance. He was, in fact, that's exactly even what he says. I have an abundance, verse 18. And he knows how to be content with having an abundance. And so that's right where he is. The gift came by a man named Epaphroditus, a man of integrity who was entrusted with the responsibility of bringing this gift to Paul. Epaphroditus, you remember, was a member of the church in Philippi, and he brought the gift to Paul in Rome. Now, some of the stories back in chapter 2, if you remember back there in verse 25, Epaphroditus described as my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger and minister to my need. Traveling to those day, in those days, that long a distance, a large amount of money would be dangerous. And from best we can tell, he faced some dangers along the way even to get the gift to Paul. Now, we don't know if the danger is from people or disease, but we do know that he came close to death. Chapter 2, verse 30. For the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So what, what the Philippians lacked in the service to Paul, that was what he was, he was giving. And in that process of bringing that to Paul, he risked his life and came close to death. And while in Rome, according to chapter 2, verse 27, he was sick, even to the point of death. And the Philippians had heard about it and they were concerned about it. But now he had recovered enough. And Paul thought it best to send Epaphroditus back to them so that they wouldn't be concerned any longer and so that Paul wouldn't be concerned about them being concerned about Epaphroditus who was just fine and well. He had recovered by that point. And now that when Epaphras went back to Philippi, he brought something even more valuable than the first gift that he had brought. He brought the book of Philippians. I mean, if, if, if the gift of the money that he brought back then was put out for us and the letter to the Philippians put out for us, which would go for more money? Certainly the book to the Philippians. But notice how he describes the gift the Philippians sent him. He said it was a fragrant aroma. Chapter 4, verse 18. An acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul borrows from the sacrificial language of the Old Testament. When animals were brought to the priest, and the priest received those animals, and sacrificed them upon the altar and the, the worshiper came with humility and repentance and as the, the smoke of this carcass rose up to God, God often calls it a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Leviticus, I, I counted at least six times, just kind of right off the cup, kind of surveying through the first couple chapters of Leviticus, this offering by fire was a soothing aroma. It says often a soothing aroma, a soothing aroma, a soothing aroma, a pleasant aroma, a pleasing to God sort of aroma. Apparently, the Lord delights in burnt flesh. Now, I'm not sure we delight in the smell of burnt flesh, right? Moms, when you're cooking something in the, in the kitchen or dads, if you're cooking something in the kitchen, maybe more likely dads. Right, Asar the other day was tried to cook some coffee, I think, on the, the stove, right? <laughs> And um, he'd forgotten about it, and this, you know, just what happens when the your house fills with smoke of of burnt toast or meat or chicken or French fries? You're opening the windows, you're blowing the fan, right? I don't care how cold it is out there. You just want to get that smell out. But God loves that smell. He, he loves the smell not because the smell is is so pleasing to his nostrils. This is anthropomorphism, but 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 God is delighted in the the sacrifice and everything that meant about the worshiper coming and how it pictured Christ who was to come. That's the idea we get here in verse 18. When we give our resources to the kingdom work, our giving is pleasing to God. God takes pleasure 
in our giving. And, and I think the same reason why Paul rejoices, the same reason why God rejoices. Because Paul is happy, not because of the gift itself, but because their, their account was increasing. And God is happy for us because He sees our account increasing, which actually is He's seeing our faith because we're putting our, our finances, our treasures here on earth to heaven. And He says, yes, those people are of, of great faith. And in fact, it, it even says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. And, it, and if without faith it's impossible to please God, pleasing God comes with faith. And I think that's what God delights in when He saw this pleasing aroma offered up to the Lord. And as, as we take of our resources and, and give to God's work, we're, we're demonstrating we're trusting God for these things. And it's the call of Christ, right? That, that Christ has given His all for us upon the cross. And, and how can we respond but, but to give our all for Him? To love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. And as we then have faith and trust and it demonstrates itself out, God is well pleased with what we do as we give as an act of faith, believing and trusting in God's provision. As we give away a portion of what we received, we give it and God, by faith then, to us is pleased with us. As we give to build His kingdom, it shows that we're seeking a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called our God because He's prepared a city for us as we lay our treasures in heaven. When Paul spoke of, of giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it spoke of how giving pleases God. You know this phrase, right? God loves a cheerful giver. And oftentimes we focus on the fact that we're, our giving should be cheerfully and, and rightly so. But, but what about the first half? God what? He loves a cheerful giver. He is pleased with the cheerful giver. Giving pleases God. You want to please God? Then give to the work of God's kingdom with a joyful, cheerful, thankful, willing heart. Picture when David prayed in 1 Chronicles 29 after all the funds had been secured to build the temple. And, and David had given so much. I mean, he was a very wealthy man. He was the king, right? And he gave so much out of his riches and he prayed this. Catch this. You tell me whether this is joyful giving or not. I believe it is and please the Lord greatly. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that's in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. It's after all these things have been collected. We, we praise your name. And they says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you and from your hand you, we have given you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there's no hope. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance we have provided to build a house for your holy name. For it is from your hand and all is yours. Since I know, O oh my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness, I in the integrity of my heart have willingly offered all these things. And so now with joy I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. It's just a joyfulness that, that David says, how is it that we can give so much? 
And that pleases God. Let's move on to our final point this morning before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Giving makes an impact. Giving adds to your account. Giving pleases God. And finally, giving brings God's blessing. Verse 19, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. You remember a couple weeks ago when I talked about the most quoted, highlighted verses in the Kindle app? Verse 19 was one of those right in the top upper sphere. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But one of the things we need to do is we need to caution about this verse because many people just take it and say, oh yes, my God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We saw last week how Philippians 4.13 is abused. Taken out of context. Athletes, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And people take that as an absolute promise. Like you want to you accomplish something. As impossible as it is. As long as you believe, I can do it through Christ who strengthens me. And then you go and do it. But you realize last week in context that really what this means is that, is that God can strengthen you to be content in whatever circumstances you're in. Right? When, when God places something before you, He's given you the strength to overcome the, the obstacles. Whether it's the obstacle of poverty and lack and want. Or whether it's the obstacle of having much. Being able to be content in all those circumstances. This week, Philippians 4.19 can be taken out of context as well. It's a comforting promise that that we'll never lack because my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But I ask you this, to whom is this promise given? It's given to those in Philippi who had sacrificed to send Paul a financial gift. Or in other words, it's given to those who are giving away their resources for kingdom purposes. In other words, this promise is given to givers. If you're here this morning, resting on this promise, while at the same time clutching your worldly possessions and not giving to God's work, this promise has no application in your life. You cannot cling this promise if you're also clinging to your possessions. This promise says this. It says, as you give faithfully to the Lord's work, He'll be faithful to supply all of your needs. The overwhelming message of the Bible is this, that God will bless those who give. Those who give much will be blessed much. Those who give little will be blessed little. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Honor the Lord with your wealth from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Proverbs 11.24, there's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There's one who withholds what's justly due and yet it results only in want. Now that doesn't make sense. How is it that the one who scatters his wealth just increases all the more? It's how God works. It's God's math. You give, God will return it to your life with a blessing. And the promise of verse 19 will be very real in your life. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When we are generous, God promises to supply all of our needs. Now, that's not saying that when you're generous, God promises to make you rich and wealthy. It's not saying that God has promised to overflow our lives with abundant wealth if we just give. That's the, the, the false conclusion of many health, wealth, prosperity teachers. But here it is, though. If you are generous, God will meet all of your needs. You can bank on that. You trust the Lord and give and God will provide for you. Listen, but if you don't trust the Lord and you don't give, you may not know the provision of God in your life. 
In fact, when the people of Israel came back in the land after the, the Babylonian captivity, they faced some hardship. And the hardship they faced was precisely because they weren't giving to God and to His work. Haggai 1, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified. In other words, give to God's kingdom work. You're coming back into land, into Jerusalem. Your task is to build the temple. So go up there and get the wood and bring back the, the materials and build the temple. That would take some money. That would take some giving. That would take some resource. That would take some effort. That's what God had told them to do. That was their whole purpose in returning. But we read in Haggai chapter 1, verse 9, You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. They're bringing home resources, but God goes, not that one. Not that one. You say, why? It's It's what Haggai asked. Why, declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. You're not given of your resources to God's kingdom. You're just concerned about your own house. And God continues. They, they were just looking for their own work. The, the temple was in disrepair. God said, give, give yourself to the work of building that temple. But they were giving themselves to the work of building their own house. Consuming all their resources for themselves. And here's what God says. Therefore, because of you and because you're not giving... The sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. In other words, I caused a drought. And without water in Israel, you don't have much food. In fact, water in Israel, I just had a a brother-in-law come back from Israel. We had dinner with him on Friday night. And uh, he said that it's not not the battle for oil in in Israel, it's the battle for water. Because water is so helpful and prosperous to bring up the, the plants. Without it, they're done. And, and God says, because of you, because of your disobedience, because you're not giving, the skies withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I called for a drought on the land and on the mountains and on the grain, on the new wine, and on the oil, and on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all your labor of your hands. Because they weren't giving, they didn't see God's blessing upon their life. In fact, they saw God's curse. As the rains were withheld, they saw a drought in the land. They saw their income all diminished. And God can do the same with each and every one of you. Wherever your circumstances is, wherever your your income is coming, He can give you the work. He can give you the hours. He can give you the overtime. He can give you the sales. He can give you the promotion. He can give you the raise. He can give you the advancement. He can give you the new job. He can give you and prosper. He can gift you. He's got to inherit you. There's lots of ways that God can bless you. And there's lots of ways that God can... Blow that one away and blow that one away and blow that one away. Blessings that could have come to you, but you're not giving. And God says, because you're not giving, I have no obligation to keep your needs. And He can equally refuse. He can withhold your work. He can stop your sales. He can reduce your hours. He can stop the promotion. He can cut your job. He can tank your company where everybody needs to take a pay cut. He can do all of that. Now, I, I don't think that God is a tit for tat. Okay, that, that if I give God this, He's going to give me this. If I give X, He's going to give me X. And if I give Y, He's going to give me Y. And um, if I withhold X, then He's going to withhold X from me. I don't think that's how, how God works. Um, 
As there are plenty of times, right? John 9, why was this man born blind? He was born blind for the glory of God. There are plenty of illnesses which come to, to test and try and to produce steadfastness in our faith. And there might be some, some um, droughts that come in our finances so as that God might, might cause us to seek Him in greater ways and trust Him and find Him more gloriously faithful. There might be some ways in which things are going well for us, yet God still brings down and loads and teaches us humility. It's not tit for tat. But in the general, I, I do believe that, that it's the flow of your life. If the flow of your life is, is one of giving in God in a mysterious way, in His own time, in His own way, you will know the provision of your life. God will provide your needs. And Philippians 4.9 will be true of your life. My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And again, I read from Randy Alcorn. He says so well. He says, um, Ironically, many people can't afford to give precisely because they're not giving. And he references Haggai 1. If we pay our debt to God first, then we will incur His blessing to help us pay our debts to men. But when we rob God to pay men, we rob ourselves of God's blessing. No wonder we don't have enough. It's a vicious cycle and it takes obedient faith to break out of it. And for those who break out of it, in obedient faith, learn to be givers, then Philippians 4.19 is true for them. He says, this is really good, this is typical Randy Alcorn. He's just in-your-face kind of guy. When people tell me they can't afford to tithe, I ask them, if your income was reduced by 10%, would you die? And they say, no. And I say, then you've admitted that you can afford to tithe and it's just a matter that you don't want to. I'm not saying it's easy to give. I'm saying, and there are thousands who will agree, that it's much easier to live on 90% or 50%, 10% of income inside the will of God than it is to live on 100% outside the will of God. Tithing is like a toddler's first steps. They aren't his last or best steps, but they're a good start. Once you learn to ride a bike... You don't need training wheels. Once you learn to give, tithing becomes irrelevant. And if you can ride the bike without ever using training wheels, well then good for you. I have no problem with people who say we're not under the tithe. That would be one of me. Just as long as they're not using it as justification to giving less. I'm not saying give less. Right? We talked about that last week. Right? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the issue is you evaluate everything in what you give. I have no problem people say we're not under the tithe just as long as they're not using that justification for giving less. But in my mind, the current giving statistics among Christians clearly indicate most of us need a giving jump start. If you find a gateway to giving that's better than the tithe, wonderful. But if not, why not start where God has started with His first covenant children? Tithe is a good starting point, as I said last week. What's, What's 10%? If you want to get technical about that, go to 23.5% if you want to keep the Old Testament tithe. But I just say this, as the Lord blesses you, be ready and willing to increase that. Don't ever think that, oh, I've given 10%. I'm good! It's not how it is. God's blessing comes on us as we really freely give and are generous. And you just, I'm just saying, for, for your betterment, store up more treasure in heaven as God prospers you. But notice how God's blessing comes also. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Notice that verse 19 doesn't say, and my God will supply all your needs out of His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's not out of God's riches, it's according to God's riches that He supplies for us. The difference is immense. Suppose, for instance, that you, you met a, a multi-millionaire friend 
who says, I, you know what, I just love you, have a great heart for you, and I see you're struggling in life, your work hasn't come, circumstances turned against you, but I, I, I have a heart from you. I want you to know I'm going to meet all of your needs out of my riches. Pretty good deal, right? I'd take the deal. But that's not what verse 19 says. Here's what verse 19 says. Suppose for a moment you've caught the, the eye of a multi Millionaire has compassion on you to help you financially. Says, I see you've been struggling in life. Your work hasn't come. Circumstances have turned against you. But listen, I have a heart for you. And I'm going to meet all of your needs according to my riches. Do you see the difference there? The first circumstance, you've got this multimillionaire who gets your needs. He's just going to kind of, kind of just give you a little bit out of his riches. His riches decrease a little bit and yours kind of increases a little bit. That's out of. But according to is, is more the multimillionaire says, you know, this, this is my standard right here and I'm, I'm going to help you out according to my standard. That's what this verse is saying. It's, it's not just out of the riches of Christ that he blesses us. It is according to the riches of Christ. So, so the, the question that comes this morning, how, how much are his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, according to verse 19? If God's going to supply all our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, how much is that? Well, God owns everything. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle in a thousand years. I know every bird of the mountain and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. God just owns the world. In fact, He owns the universe. I recently saw a graphic denoting how much money some of the richest people in the world have and what cities they could purchase. This is pretty fascinating, and I've got this, this, this graphic here right before me, but, but uh, Steve Ballmer, former president maybe of Microsoft, is he, I don't know if he stepped down, I think he has, but $20 billion he's worth, he could buy all the homes in Littleton, Colorado. <laughs> like, buy all the homes in this city. Or uh, let, let's, let's take someone like um, uh, let's Jeff Bezos. Right, the CEO of Amazon, his worth is $29 billion. He could buy all of Napa, all the homes in Napa. Napa is a pretty nice place. We hope to get there this summer as we, we go. Um, or Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, he could buy all the homes in St. Paul, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. All the homes he could buy. Bill Gates, $76 billion. He could buy all the homes in Boston. The Walton family, you know what I'm talking about, Mr. Walmart, right, Mr. Sam's, um, $111 billion, their family, because it's all been inherited now, I guess. They could purchase all the homes in Seattle. But God could purchase not only all the homes in all those cities, but all the governments in all the cities and all the infrastructures in all those cities and all the commercial buildings in all the cities and all the lands in all of those cities of all the United States, including Canada, including Mexico, including England and all of Africa and all of Australia and all of the former Soviet Union. He, in fact, he, he already has. It's not that he can, he already owns it all. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Psalm 24. His resources never lack. He's able to bless those who give. Verse 19. My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. So how much are the riches in Christ Jesus? Well, let's, let's go back to Ephesians 1 as we transition to the Lord's Supper. 
I've gone a lot longer than I thought I was going to go. I thought it was going to be pretty quick tonight, but today. Paul has this great heart and his passion after lifting up all the great blessings that God has given to us in Christ in Ephesians 1. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He, he then speaks about in verse 11 how we in Christ have obtained this inheritance. And then he's praying, chapter 1, verse 18, praying, verse 17, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the sight of Him. He plays in verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of your calling, which, which, which is so much greater than any of you, I think, ever, ever know to hope in Christ. And what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? He has inherited all those who believe. He, is, he, he will, Jesus is, all things are created by Him, for Him, and through Him. And, and Jesus owns it all. He's going to be the one who rules the earth with His title deed. You just need to read Revelation chapter 5 for that. And He, he owns it all. And that's the inheritance that He has. And you need to know what's the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. Chapter 1, verse 19 of Ephesians. There's great power in Christ for us who believe. So we celebrate at the Lord's Supper of, of how, verse 20, He brought about in Christ when, when God raised Him from the dead and seated Him in His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And the Bible says that in, in, in Romans chapter 8 that we are fellow heirs with Christ. Everything that Christ inherits, we as His brother inherit that as well. All purchased at the cross of Christ. How central is the cross and how often Christ tells us to remember Him by eating the bread and drinking the cup as a way just to reflect, remember on the glorious gospel that it's not like we've paid. It's not like we've, we've, we've earned all this stuff. It's a little bit like um, I was with my brother-in-law Friday and they had some computer problems. So I was helping with computer problems and trying to show them how they can buy electronic books for their electronic devices and say, well, let's buy some free books. And uh, my, my nephew kept saying, that just doesn't sound right. How do you buy free books? I thought, well, there's some administrative cost to it and actually it kind of puts there it is free. But I thought, how much like the gospel is that? Isaiah 55, we buy without money. We eat without cost. Of everything that Christ has given to us is by faith that we inherit all these things. God is the one who owns all wealth. Why do we hold on to what is God so tightly? And, and I pray for us at Rock Valley Bible Church that we would be those who would give and give generously that we might know these, these benefits and blessings that there is in Christ to those who, who give, that we would know that giving makes an impact, that it adds to our account, it pleases God, it brings God's blessing. So let's bow our heads and prepare to celebrate the supper here this, this morning. I know I've gone long, but... In Haiti, they went a lot longer than I went today. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do look to You. And we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for the cross. God, in Christ we are made righteous and whole. That we are sinners and yet justified at the same time. Lord, we thank You for all that Jesus accomplished for us and purchased for us at the cross of Christ. God, may we examine our hearts, examine our lives. God, give us repentance where repentance needs to be, to hold looser to the things of the world. Thank you, God, for this text of Scripture that speaks so much about how beneficial it is to us to give. 
And I pray that we would increase that account, our heavenly account. God, so it really it all, all begins right here at the cross when we come afresh daily to Jesus, loving Him, serving Him, believing Him, and trusting Him who is, is all things. God, grant us a glimpse of your glory as we think and reflect upon that last night when you took the bread and broke the, cu- and broke the bread and drank the cup. Just foreshadowing, anticipating your death on the cross. So lead us into this special time of worship. Again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.